Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here today to worship the Lord. It's great to have you joining us online as well. If I can get you to take a seat and pull out your Bible, whether that's on your phone or it's physical. We're going to start with the Word here today. We're in the sermon series uh, looking at uh, Paul's first letter to Timothy. And uh, today we're in chapter 2, and the first half of this chapter is really, really appropriate for us as we begin our time of worship. So 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. We see in this passage, and as we're going to see later, that this is about when the church gathers, that we ought to be praying church. When the church gets together, the church ought to pray. It's one of the things that God has for us to do. Uh, Praying for everybody, as it says, and specifically for those who are leaders so that we can uh, have the kind of lives that leave us free to to serve the Lord. We should pray for that. God desires that all would be saved. And if you are here or you're watching and uh, you've never received Christ as your Savior, God is very clear that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, died to pay the penalty for your sins, rose again from the dead, and If you will just open up your heart and mind to him and receive Jesus as as Lord and Savior, he will forgive every sin. Isn't that good news? Every sin, you will receive eternal life and God himself will move into your life and begin changing you in good ways from the inside out. And we do that by receiving Christ as Savior. There's no other way, it says here, there's no other way for us to get to God. It has to be through Christ. So let's remember that as we worship today. You know, I don't know what kind of week you had. Uh, maybe you had a great week walking with the Lord and felt you were, you know, led by the Spirit and all that. Or you may have had one of those weeks where just the opposite has been your experience. And I want you to know that wherever you're coming from in life this week, that we always come to God the same way. We can't come to God better because we lived better. It's not our works that have provided us a relationship with God, right? It's what he's done for us. And so we come to the Lord, come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ in our worship. So again, whatever kind of week you had, let's come to the Lord today through Jesus Christ and worship him accordingly, okay? So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you do desire us and and the rest of the world to be saved and that you sent your son to accomplish that. 
I pray, Father, for those here today who maybe haven't ever reached that point where they finally opened up and received your Son as Savior. I pray that today that, that they would do that. For those watching, the same thing, Lord. We do pray for those in authority over us, Lord, that they would, uh, from the president all the way down, Lord, to our local uh, governments, I pray that they will make good and wise decisions that we might be able to live freely the life that you have called us to, to be able to carry out the mission that you've given us. And I pray now as we worship that we would remember that the only way we have a relationship with you is through your son. We don't bring our good works to you today, fathers, as any merit to, to get to you. We only come through him what he's done for us. And we're so thankful that that opens the way. Work in our lives today, Father. Touch us where we need to be touched. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're worshiping together there and, and singing about at the cross and what we discovered and what happened in our lives there, I went back to that. Uh, it was a Friday night, special week of church meetings, of the first week of April in 1975, and finding myself getting alone, away from everybody toward the end of the service and, and bowing down and praying and saying, oh God, I, I'm not living right. I'm not living for you. I can't seem to get it together. But the sun had been nagging at me for months and I just stopped. And all of a sudden I just knew it was so clear I just stopped. And I said, okay, God, I know I'm not saved. I've never received your son as savior. And then I did. And life has never been the same since. And it won't be forever, right? A forever change. What a blessing. Father, thank you for this. Truths of the cross. I pray as we look at, our, at your word today, we'll open up our hearts and minds to you and surrender to you and the things that you have to say to us there and grow us, Lord, to have your son's mind and heart more as well. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Christianity, is it the worst thing that ever happened for women? Or is it the best thing that ever happened for women? Or is it somewhere in between? Well, it doesn't take, if you want to go online and do a search about this, right? You're going to find people at both extremes. Those who believe that Christianity is like the worst thing that ever happened to women. And it's just keeping women down and demeaning them and belittling them. And then, of course, there's others who say, no, it's the greatest thing ever, you know. And then there's people in between and trying to figure it all out. I am convinced that Christianity is the best thing that ever happened, not just for women, but for all humankind. For women and men, for children. You know, if we look at uh, all the cultures of the world that are pre-Christian, that came about before, you know, biblical Christianity, some that came after it, but other religions, they typically have a different view about women. They are inferior. They... You know, whatever, there's a whole spectrum, right? From their property to they need to keep in their place. All this kind of stuff in cultures. Laws, right? There are places in the world where women, there are laws to hold women down, okay? That's not Christianity. Biblical Christianity. And by the way, all that glitters is not gold, 
all that claims to be Christian isn't. Right? There are lots of things that can be done in the name of Christianity that are not Christian at all. And how do we know? Well, we have to actually go to the Word and see what it says, right? And, and, and handle the Word, as the Bible says, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Make sure we're understanding it the way it was intended to be understood. Um, so let's just settle this from the, right from the get-go here, okay? Uh, that God made men and women to be equal. We could have said he made them equal. Okay, but notice I'm saying he didn't just make them equal, he intended for them to be equal. All right? Uh, in Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul talks about this and he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you all are, or you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, are there Jews and Greeks? Yeah. Are there, well, there still are in the world. Are there slaves and free people? Right? Are there men and women? So what's he mean? He's talking about when it comes to being a human being before God, these things are not the issue. Right? Being a man or a woman is not the issue when it comes to, to having a relationship with God and interacting. We are equal. We all come the same way. And we read that in the, the first part of 1 Timothy earlier this morning, right? There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We all come to God through Jesus. No other way. And male, female, whatever your background is, your race, your economic, your economic status, status, whatever, all of that's irrelevant. We stand equal before God. And if we um, look at what the Bible says and how it presents women, let me just, just read you a few things here. And actually, I don't think I even need those. So here's a brief overview. It's very brief of, of the way that the Bible talks about women and what it teaches us about them. Uh, women are made in the image of God, just like a man. Okay. And it takes both man and woman to show forth the image of God. That's what it says. He created them in the image of God. Male and female, he created them. Okay. Women, together with men, were entrusted by God to carry out his command, to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That was given to humankind, to Adam and Eve, and to all who come after them. The Old Testament laws consistently provided protection for women in cultures that exploited her vulnerabilities and put her well-being at risk. Uh, and, and as we look at the law, we might say, well, hey, what about this? But the point is, God was providing protections for women that they did not otherwise have. Women have filled important roles in the history of God's people. This list, and this is a, a short list, Sarah, Deborah, Ruth, I put Solomon's wife, the Proverbs 31 woman there. Esther, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Salome, Mary, the mother of James, Lydia, Phoebe, Priscilla, and I'm just, we can go back in and find a lot more. All treated just as, talked about just as men. I mean, as far as what they did and their value before God and, and how he viewed them. Women are noted as participants in the church from the very beginning. In fact, the, the women are mentioned in the ministry of Jesus and the roles that they were filling. Philip's daughter, he was one of the apostles, but his daughters are described as prophetesses. Can you say that word? Prophetesses. 
And as a, someone who's a, a prophetess or a prophet in the New Testament sense, was someone who would, who would speak and say, you know, I, I believe, you know, this is what God is having us think about, bringing that, you know, issues to light, because they didn't have the New Testament yet. And so they would do it. And so uh, Paul talks about it. And that's the next point. Women prayed and prophesied in church meetings. First Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul talks about that and describes it as that way. So women truly are equal before God. Now, you know, why am I even having to talk about this? Well, because as I already said, there can be much that's been either wrongly taught and lived by people who claim to be Christians, and then there are those who are outside of Christianity who describe Christianity in this way. So something to be talked about. But there's even more to it than that. You know, why bring this up? What's the issue? Okay, men and women are equal before God. And that is absolutely true. But that's not everything the Bible says about men and women. Okay? So let me elaborate on this point. God made men and women to be equal, but not the same. Not the same. I would venture to say, for most of you, that is the reason you were attracted to the person that you are in love with or married to, right? You weren't looking for someone exactly like you. You wanted somebody different, right? I mean, God made us this way. And the word that we're going to use to describe this is the idea of complementary. In other words, God made us men and women to go together. Now, Ladies, let me ask you. How many of you would say that men are just different? <laughs> Honest, right? Yeah, okay. Men, how many of you would say women are different? Okay. So we know this by our own experience. Equal before God, but different. And different in ways that complement each other. I mean, we're not just talking about biology and the, the, the anatomy made for each other, but also the soul, how we interact and how we come together. Because and, and, um, the reality is, if I didn't get married or if I didn't have women in my life, um, I don't know how to say this, I would be missing a whole lot of things. I wouldn't see the world the same. I still, I still don't see it all right, you know. That means I don't see it the way my wife sees it all the time. But, uh, <laughs> no, but the reality is the point is I, I've been stretched, right? Because as, as a man, I, I don't look at the world the same way my wife does. And she's a unique person. She's not just a woman, right? I'm a unique person. So that's part of the mix too. But there is this difference to which we are complementary to one another. And I would say that's by God's design. All right. So what we want to talk about today is the roles that God has given us as men and women. Really one specific we're going to talk about because the role matters. Right? We're talking about church matters. Well, role matters. And God has talked about role and it does matter. It does make a difference. So let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. You know, I think it's pretty evident as we just look at things. And um, by the way, it's always risky if you want to you start talking about uh, um, 
men are this way or women are that way, stereotypical, and, and that's, there's overlap, right? This is not absolute, so I, I'm not going to try to do too much of that. But I would say that, in, uh, generally speaking, when we look at the role of, of uh, men and women when it comes to parenting, that there's a difference, isn't there? Okay, the woman, you know, is the one who, who, who carries the child, who, you know, gives birth to the child, who nurtures the child and cares the child. Not that a man can't help with that, but he can't do it, right? Um, and there's a sense in which the man then needs to be protecting and providing because this is a time in the woman's life when she is the most vulnerable, right? Now, we don't see this as much in, in society today because a lot of the risks have been taken away, okay? Uh, but it used to be mom had the baby and you're living out in the middle of wherever you're living and she cannot go out and provide somebody better, right? So, I mean, there's this, this complementary nature, different, different roles. Uh, we won't look at it today, but in Ephesians chapter 5, God talks about the different roles that men and women have. They are equals in marriage. They are both to submit to one another. And uh, the man submits himself to the wife by loving her like Christ loves the church and, and providing some protection and, and going somewhere uh, that she can go with him. And then uh, the woman submits to the man by showing a genuine respect and, and a reverence to him, okay, in that way. Uh, and all by God's design. So, but different roles, but very much equals. So, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, let's actually look in chapter 3 for just a moment. Down in verse 14, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy why he's writing him this letter and these things. He says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed... I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And by the house of God, he doesn't mean this building. He means us as the church. When we as the church gather and we come together to be the church and we come together to do what the church is supposed to do, Paul is saying, I'm writing these things so you can know how to do these things. What, you know, what, what do you need to remember? What do the people need to remember? So he's talking about the church very much like we are today. Uh, when we are gathered together as the church. Okay, this is what he's talking about. So let's begin reading in verse 8. And we'll just read through it and then we'll go back and work our way through it. He says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. And so those verses are like, what? Okay, hang in there. It gets a little stranger. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So um, there are passages of Scripture that, as someone who you know, preaches and teaches and proclaims this, that, that you look at, and, and if, in other words, if I had... 
I could preach on any passage of Scripture I wanted to today. I think I'll choose this one. Probably not, right? Because it's a, it's a little, there's some difficulties there. Now, right on the face of it, it seems very countercultural, doesn't it? This is not how our cultural views things. And, and even after we go through and, and really get a clearer sense of it, it's still going to be countercultural. That shouldn't surprise us. Because when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and then we all inherited sin, right? The world is messed up. Okay, the world has been impacted by sin. So it shouldn't surprise us that in general terms that the world very often finds itself in opposition to what God says. Okay, just the way it is. And that's okay. And Jesus told us it would be that way. All right, so let's go back and work our, our way through this. Again, this is the context of when the church is gathering to be the church and to do what church does when it's gathering. So verse 8, he's talking about men's worship, when men come together to worship. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Okay? So for men, I, I see two things here. For, for men, uh, he says that... Uh, Worship was to be expressive, flowing naturally out of holy living. Okay? Talking about lifting up hands. All right. So, and again, understand, when I, if I talk about the way men seem to be, the way women seem to be, these are stereotypes, okay? They aren't absolutes, and because, and you know, there is overlap in this stuff. But typically, if we're going to have someone in our congregation who is not going to sing, guess whether they're male or female. More often than not, it's a man that's going to be that way. He's not going to. And, you know, if, if he's that way, he's, is he going to raise his hands in worship? No. And so Paul here is, I think, is challenging men to be expressive in worship. doesn't mean you have to raise your hands. That's not the point. The idea is to be expressive in worship, to actually engage. But see, and like I said, I'll say it one last time. I'll try not to say it again. I understand things can be stereotypical and that everything I say doesn't necessarily apply to men. Might be Okay, that isn't the point. But men largely have a much harder time connecting with how they feel about things. In fact, if you want to just goof me up in a conversation, we're sitting around, you know, Glenda and maybe some other people, and, and then you get asked, well, so how is that making you feel? I open that box up and there's no words in this box. I don't. Okay, so we men, we can tend to not engage, but what God is calling us is to engage with our whole person, our whole being, to engage with God uh, and worship with expression. Now, once again, for a man, some men, expression might be just standing very still, holding onto the chair in front of them and actually moving their mouths. Okay? But they're, they're actually engaging, whatever. So it engages. And then this idea with holy hands, lifting holy hands, again, it, it's not, it's the idea of our hands. In this culture, a man went out to work, and what did he work with? 
His hands, okay? So he's talking about what are you doing in life? And then what are you bringing back to worship with you? These hands, are they, you know, what are you doing with these hands all week? And I want you to come and lift holy hands. That doesn't mean sinless hands, but it means not hypocritical hands, right? We're not living one way out in the world and come back in and act like we're holy. No, it's, it's a real deal, okay? So he's calling them to this. And then the second thing, he talks about without wrath and doubting. And um, I, t- I think, and once again, you know, we do the best we can to figure these things out and to figure out what they mean and how they apply. Um, but without wrath, it's this idea of anger. And women can have problems with anger too, but men oftentimes have problems with anger. But when they're angry, it's just pulled in, not voiced, not expressed. Not dealt with, right? And you come to church angry. And then that affects how you look at everybody else around you. How you doing today, brother? And they say, fine. In their head, they're thinking, why do you want to know? <laughs> you know, because there's this thing. Doubting. Doubting what's, what's, what's your motives. Okay, the preacher's standing up and saying such and such, but what's he really wanting? See this wrath and this doubting, this whole thing. And so I think Paul is challenging us for men. He says, worship was to be about coming together, not pulling away. Okay, men, we, we need to worship this. We need to worship expressively, you know, with uh, lives that are not hypocritical. And then when we come together, we need to come together. We need to value one another and actually be consciously aware of that in our lives, okay? All right, so let's, let's now look what he says for women. He says, In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. All right, so let's look at this a, a little carefully here. Right there in the beginning, In like manner also that the women adorn themselves the word adorn comes from um, uh, the Greek word cosmeo, uh, and that's where we get our English word cosmetics. Okay? The word means to, um, to put things in order. That's what the, one of the words that means. To put things in order and or to decorate. To decorate. Now, do women, do many women like to decorate themselves? They do. I watch my granddaughters, and it's just in them, to decorate themselves, okay? Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Paul is here talking about, so if you're going to decorate yourself, you're going to, you know, get things in order in their proper place and you can present yourself out of the world. When you do that, he says, make sure that it's modest. Um, by the way, let me just say this in passing. I, you know, I'm out and about sometimes and, and this, there are whole industries that really play on and, and to manipulate this whole idea of women like to decorate themselves. Right? I mean, I have seen women wearing things I can't imagine. Why in the world would anyone ever want to wear that? 
but they have this desire, okay? And so to decorate themselves. And, and so, um, but it needs to be modest. And this idea of modesty is, is with respect to, um, there is a sensual nature that we have in our physical beings. God made us that way. Uh, God made women to appear the way women appear. And that if, if when you dress modestly, ladies, the idea is to dress in such a way that you are not calling, overly calling attention to that, those things that make you different as a woman from a man. Okay, which means the more you uncover, the closer you're getting to being immodest. The, the more what you wear, the more tightly it fits your form, the more you're, you're getting to that place about not being modest. So it's just being aware of that. And the next word there says, with propriety. It means you need to think about this. Right? What's appropriate for this situation? You know what I mean? If we, were, if we went to the beach in the summertime and, and uh, you know, you ladies were there, we were there, and, but you were wearing modest bathing suits. We all kind of have an idea when we say a modest bathing suit, right? I guarantee you that if you walked into church this morning in your modest bathing suit, it would not seem modest. <laughs> right? Okay, so it's this idea of propriety. Okay, what's appropriate for where I'm going to do? And then he talks about in moderation, not going overboard. And then he, he says with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. The, um, in Ephesus, the temple of Diana was there. And people came there and worshipped this false goddess Diana from all over the world. And there were priestesses who worked in the temple of Diana. And we're not really sure what they did or not, okay? But they were there, and they wore their hair in these very fancy ways with things braided into it and all of that. And Paul is saying, don't look like you've just come from the temple of Diana, right? Let's, let's be different there, okay? And again, it's not that you can't wear gold or pearls or costly clothing, but what he says, the emphasis in verse 10 needs to be on good works. If you really want to decorate yourself in a way that honors God, decorate yourself with what? Good works, okay? Uh, Peter uh, says this in a little bit of a different way. He says, do not let your adornment be merely outward, Okay? arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And I, I think I forgot to say this, but worship is not about outward appearance, but inward reality. So dress accordingly. That's what Paul is saying here. Okay? All right. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission... And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man, but to be in silence. All right, so that's a pretty challenging word. Um, first of all, he starts off with learning silence and he closes in silence. So this is one whole big thought. This is not a bunch of separate thoughts. It's one big thought. So let's talk about the words that are used here. First one is silence, okay? We think of silence, it's like when your kids wouldn't shut up. And you finally said, zip it, right? I don't want to hear a 
keep out of you. That's not what this word means. This word that's translated silence means to be still. Okay, to look and make sure I don't want to. Yes, to be still, to cease or stop moving around. And it comes from a word that means stay in your seat. Okay, now, so the idea here is we're going to see that we're talking about who's going to stand up and teach the word. Who's going to stand up and speak with the, the godly authority the word of God? And when it's time for that to happen, in essence, the Lord is saying, ladies, stay in your seat. Okay? All right, submission. That's one of those words that in our culture is like, well, terrible. Uh, but it very little just means this. It's a choice that you make to order yourself underneath somebody or something. I mean, everywhere we go, there are chains of command, right? I mean, there's people who have authority. And so we choose to do this. And he says, in the church, okay, for you as a lady, when it comes to this authoritative teaching, you need to put yourself underneath. This is not about being less than. I mean, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All equally God. Equal in yeah, every way. And yet what does the son do? The son placed himself under the father to do the father's will. So there's no sense of inequality here. This is an order. Okay? And so it's an ordering of yourself to do that. And that's what that is talking about. By the way, this applies to men too. The man who is not going to stand up and be the authoritative teacher needs to stay in his seat and do what? Place himself under authority. But Paul is specifically addressing women here. And then the whole way to teach is just this what it means. It means taking the word of God and saying, here's what God says. Here's what this means in our lives. And this is where the idea of the authority comes. Where does the pastor's authority come from when he preaches and teaches? Is it because it's me? Is it because it's Walt talking? No, it's because Walt is, as a pastor, is fulfilling the role and doing, telling you what God says. This is where the authority lies. If I stand up and try to speak to you authoritatively about things that are unrelated to what God says, don't listen to me. Right? I mean, you're not under my authority like that. Okay. And then to have authority over. This means, again, to, uh, to dominate, to take the authoritative role. Uh, it means to act of oneself on your own authority. And Paul is saying, God through Paul is saying, don't do that. Okay? Now, as I mentioned, this verse, the two verses start with a, 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 talking about silence and end with talking about silence. And so we have this, this is all one thought. And what we can do here, we can actually put these two verses sort of in parallel to each other and, and learn something, what he's talking about. Okay? So let's take a look at that. Verse 11 says, let a woman learn in silence. Again, stillness. Not, you know, staying in your seat with all submission, putting yourself under. Verse number 12 says, and I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. So we put these together, we start to get a sense of what he's talking about. Go ahead. When he says, let a woman learn in silence, what he's saying is she's not to be the teacher, the authoritative teacher when the church gathers. That is a role, as we're going to see, of 
pastors, or they're also called elders, or they're called overseers. That's that person's role, to speak authoritatively the word of God to the church. Okay, so that's what being silent is about. It's about not clamoring to have that role. Then with all submission is the idea of not having this authority over the men in the church. Now, you know, that's, what's, kind of, what's the big deal there? But here's, here's where we run into problems. If, um, if, if my wife were to stand up and do what I do, she's taking this role. That means I have to, as her husband, do what? Be submissive to her in that. Well, that kind of starts to upset the, the role, doesn't it? She's supposed to be submissive toward me in a respectful way, right? So it's, <laughs> I run out of words to talk about these things. And not that I run out of words, I could use lots of words and then be wrong. So I don't want to do that. But I want you to see this is very much about the role of pastor, elder, overseer. Those are the same roles in the Bible. Who can be that? In fact, as soon as this chapter's over, Paul tells us, now here is who can do this. Someone who pleases their calls, someone who has the ability and who has the character to go along with it. A man, okay? All right, so here's the basic interpretation of this. In the church, women are not allowed to fill the role of authoritative teachers of the word. Pastor's role. Elders, overseer's role. And as we're going to see, only qualified men are allowed to fill that role. Now, are we still countercultural? Yeah, we are. And I used to feel like I need to almost apologize for that. But you know, I'm not going to apologize for that anymore. Because who set it up this way? Does he need me to apologize for him? No, he doesn't. Okay. Now, let's look at the next verses. And before we do, though, let's see, if, can we answer the question, why? Why did God do this this way? Why did God set it up this way? Uh, I don't think the Bible really gives us any detailed insight into that. Um, but he did, because God has ordered it this way. This is the way he has ordered it to be. And I don't mean I ordered you, I mean an order. Okay, God has ordered it this way. And that's important to help us understand what's going on next. So verse 13 he says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So he goes back to creation and, and the fall of man as uh, a follow-up to this. And I think it's a mistake for us to understand that God is here trying to say that the woman should not be in authority because God made Adam first and then Eve was deceived. And I don't think that's the point. By the way, Eve was deceived. Think about this. God makes Adam. He makes all these other animals, male and female, male and female, male and female. He only makes Adam, and Adam just becomes increasingly aware that what? There's nobody like me. There's nobody here for me, with me. So God makes Eve to be with him. When we get to the story of how Adam and Eve fell into sin, we no longer see Eve being with Adam. 
we see Adam being with Eve. We don't see Adam taking the lead in addressing Satan and the serpent. We see Eve doing that. And then she was deceived and ate. Nothing happened. What's the deal with that? Well, God gave Adam the command to pass on. Adam, with eyes wide open, knowing that his wife had just disobeyed God, he chose to go with his wife instead of with God, willfully so, which is why the rest of the Bible lays sin at Adam's feet, not at Eve's feet. Okay, Adam is the responsible one. But so here's what I want you to see, though. I think the point of this here, why Paul brings this up, is that God is the one who ordered the relationship in creation, didn't he? Between Adam and Eve and the man. And, and, and when Adam and Eve, when that got turned upside down, when, when they didn't go with the order God had set up, things did not go well. And so Paul says, God has ordered in the church that a man fill the role of being the pastor, the elder, the overseer, and speak authoritatively to the church from the word of God, not the woman. Now, if we want to set that aside, and we want to come with rationalizations for why we're doing it, guess what? It will not go well for us. You see how he says that? All right. Then, you know, as women, you say, there can be this sense of loss. Gee, you know, I, I wish I could be that. I, but God's telling me I can't do that, you know. What's the, verse 15, another interesting verse. He says, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. And so they keep living like Christian. Saved in childbearing, what does that mean? We know it can't be that you get saved into a relationship with God, Right? Men, you pray a prayer. Women, you have a baby. You know, that isn't what God says. Uh, And I don't think it means that you're going to not die in childbirth. I don't think that's the point. This word that's translated saved is used in many, many different ways. And one of the ways it's made is the idea of to be made whole. To be made whole. And so in this sense, if you feel like I have a lacking in my life because I can't be a pastor. Well, God says, you can be made whole because you can have children. And I know it doesn't doesn't equate perfectly for us, but the idea is there are some things that God has said, this is for the man to do. And there are some things that he said, this is for the woman to do. And I just got to be real honest with you. I'm glad he said the women get to have the babies. But yet I see in women, it's just, I don't know. I think what we want to see here is that we want to embrace God's ways. That is always what's best. Even we don't understand it, you know. And so this is what I want to say to you. God's ways are perfect. Even when we don't understand them. And we always benefit by trusting him. I don't understand why it's this way but I'm going to trust God in it. And Psalm 18 says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in Him. 
Psalm 119, and this is where we need to live, and this is a challenge I want to bring to you. Therefore, this is psalmist talking to God. He says, therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. What have you said, God? I consider this to be right. You know, I need to break it to you. There are things in the Bible that I don't know about and don't remember. Anybody else like that? But I can tell you this. I already consider those things to be right, even though I don't know them, even though I don't remember them, even though I may not understand them. And this is my challenge to you today, that what I I want you to do, uh, men and women, all of us, is to say, God, your ways are perfect. The ones I understand and make sense to me are perfect. The ones I don't understand and can't make sense of are perfect. You are God. You know way better than me. And I'm going to trust you in this. We sang that song this morning, right? When I can't figure these things out, when things aren't, it doesn't make sense to me. God, I will trust in you. It's crucial. And so I kind of think that this is the way we need to look at it. And I, I get it. I'm the man. I'm telling you this, right? But actually, let me say this to you. This is God telling you this. Set me out of the picture. Hear it from God. And this is true for men or women. What we need to do is is, is say, you know what, Lord, I surrender to you. Because once we make that decision, the whole world opens up to us. Because you understand that every person in this room is free and able to do anything God wants you to do. True? Anything God would lead you to do from his word Anything God would lead you to do that's consistent with his word, you are free to do. It reminds me of this in the Garden of Eden again, when God said, you may eat of every tree in the garden freely, except for that one. Now, Adam and Eve didn't even have sin in their life yet, but we do. And I tell you what, tell, if, you're old, if you have children or grandchildren, tell them. Hey, you can play with anything you want in this house, but not that. What's the tendency? Now we start focusing on that. And I'm saying to you that if God has put a restriction in place here, let's don't make that mistake. Because here's the reality for the child. If the child would settle, oh, okay, not that. Wow. I can do anything. And so it is with us and God. When we will surrender to him and submit to him, the whole rest of the world opens up to us. And let's just embrace what he said, okay? And with an attitude that says, I don't have all the answers. And an attitude that nowhere does the Bible say that God did this because men aren't, women aren't as capable as men. I think very often they might be more capable. But God has ordered it to be so. And his ways are perfect. 
And next week we'll pick up and see what is he saying about those who are to have this role. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, even though we find ourselves having a hard time understanding sometimes what's being said and then why it's being said, I, I thank you, Lord. I think you've made things clear enough that we can surrender to you in it. And I pray we would, Lord, in our lives. Not just this issue we're talking about, Lord, but some other, any other issue that we're facing today, Lord, where we're needing to make a choice to yield to you and say yes to you. I pray we'll do that, Lord. For there's no better life for us. No way we accomplish your purposes better than by yielding to you and living according to your word. Help us with these things, Lord, as we try to flesh them out in our lives. We want to honor you, for you are worthy of that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go out and live for the Lord this week. <laughs>